Hi, welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. For this episode, we both read a book called A Whack on the Side of the Head by Roger Van Eck. I think that's how you pronounce it. I wanted to do a little context here because I was not clear on this uh, right away when we were talking about it. But Roger Von Eck is, I like his his um, his Wikipedia bio, is American speaker, conference organizer, author, and toy maker, which I don't know why toy maker, like he does make and sell this multi-cohedron. It's just really, <laughs> like toy maker is just such a fun title. You know? Which he totally likes to market it in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he, you know, does a lot of stuff with companies. He's worked with Apple and IBM and Disney and Sony and Intel with creativity consulting, which I don't know if that's like a, I, I kind of want to know how old that concept is, but I like it as a concept. So he's written this book, came out first time in 1983. Uh, I think both you and I read the 2008 updated edition. So he's made, he's written books, he's done this stuff, he's started a creative whack pack, which I think is really funny. It's like cards to stimulate you, I think, <laughs> kind of like word of the day calendars, mm-hmm. which I think is really funny, because whack pack is fun to say. And yeah, and he sold, his toys are mostly of like pieces that stick together, and you can stick them together in different ways. And that's, that comes up in the book. So do you want to remind us again, how you heard of this book and what made you interested in it? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast by our friend and yours, Merlin Mann. Um, we can send a link to his stuff over the, over on our show notes. But he was mentioning the idea of ha- like what he got from this book. He remembers it from reading it a, a while ago. And he was remembering the idea of the... Um, the different parts of a person's creativity and their creative personality and like how you can use those different parts in order to get things done. And they were the explorer, artist, judge, and warrior, which hilariously come up at like the last five pages in the book. (laughs) I'm like waiting this entire time in the book to like get to this part that actually like sparked my interest in wanting to read this. Mm -hmm. But in general, I mean, for me, the book, uh, uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But that's where I first heard of it. He was expressing um, that like he remembers that and like keeping those kind of thoughts in his head was helpful to getting through a new idea or like going back and like revisiting an old idea. So that kind of sparked me. I'm like, oh, a book about creativity and like kind of how to think about being more creative or having more creative thoughts. And so I found it. I thought it'd be great for our show. And I think uh, I think. I, I think my instinct was kind of right because I really <laughs> like this book. I had I had the funniest reaction to it because uh, I was like, I agree with pretty much everything in this book and I'm so annoyed by this book. <laughs> and I think part of it is because it is like it's not self-helpy, but it is kind of how like it's it's it feels like a workshop and yeah. that can be both good and bad. And it's, it's not like I'm like, oh, all of these things are so obvious. Part of it, I think, is almost, I'm like, you know, don't tell me what to do because I know you're right and that's annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Because, yeah, like parts of it felt a bit workshoppy. And I think, because it does say in the book, like you can read it the whole all the way through or just bounce in and out of it. And I think I need to come back to it in a while, both when I've kind of processed parts of it, but also so that I don't feel it's a ton of exercises and things to think about all at once. Yes. Because it has, I really like that it has these like little sort of exercises and triggers like that that aren't necessarily like do these 10 things or come up with 10 things, but it's more like, hey, sit sit with this. This is a way to think about it. Do you, do you want to explain what the title means of the whack on the side of the head? 
it's kind of different ways to get yourself re-inspired and put into a creative mode where it's almost like encouraging and stimulating your brain to think more creatively or outside of the box or outside of the realm that you would normally be thinking about. And a lot of the book for me was like going through and it was saying how, you know, um, being like creative is about having like an open mind, not being afraid to be wrong, busting through what he calls mental locks in order to start seeing things a little bit differently. And even if you take it to the realm of the absurd, you can then kind of double back on whatever you're trying to solve or whatever you're trying to accomplish or move forward with in like a totally different light, like asking silly questions like, what if there was no air? Like, how would we build this <laughs> thing if we had to, you know, we couldn't breathe oxygen, like silly things like that. But Or, or having people, like his example was, in, in one case was draw a person in a certain pose, and then draw something to support that person. And don't use the word like chair or bed until after everyone's done to to be like don't you know remove some of the some of the constraints so that the thing that seems super obvious doesn't necessarily like you said lock you into a certain certain thing i found yeah i found myself writing down a lot of quotes and circling um like certain pages and little things that for me like kind of the sparked the the thought process of of oh yeah that makes a lot of sense to me or like think this differently. There are tons of examples. Um, some are really funny stories that he tells. Others are like, you know, philosophical quotes and how he interprets them or how he's seen other people interpret them. I found it really funny, the slogan chapter of like all the, the businesses where they put absurd or, you know, ridiculous slogans to their business that they would never put out in like real life just to be <laughs> funny. Um, I found those really good. And it just, it's just a way of like opening up your thinking. Um, one of the things uh, that I was I, I really liked what I think kind of uh, surmises a lot of this book is the idea that, um, you know, seeing the same thing as everyone else and, and then thinking differently with it. And I think that that is is something that I like to do. Again, it's like not. Uh, OK, here we go. <laughs> I I find myself to be in the category of the people that end up thinking differently anyway, like I'm a little bit of a weirdo. And I think that you are too, where mm -hmm. sometimes you see things a little bit off from other people. And in certain situations, that makes you feel like a total freak. And that makes me feel like a total freak or like you're not seeing something in the same way. But in this book, it's almost like it glorifies that idea and it glorifies mm -hmm. being that type of person. I really like towards the end how he points out the difference between creative people and not creative people, the creative people think of themselves as creative people. That was like yeah. literally the only difference. And <laughs> I thought that was really cool because as soon as you can, you know, if you read something like this and spark the idea that, oh, I could be a creative person or I could have creative ideas, it immediately like opens the door and you have like a whole new path of like, I can be this creative person. Yeah. And, and that conclusion wasn't just like his observation, but it came from an actual study that I can't remember who did it and when, but like an actual mm -hmm. study where they had surveyed a bunch of different people within, within different contexts. And I feel like it's, it's, it's almost like we have this idea also of like different interests also mean creativity mm -hmm. uh, and different, we have ideas of what actually constitutes creativity. Like say, if you work with math or science, depending on what kind or if you're a programmer, like we've talked about before, some people might not, think of that as creative, including the people who are doing it, or 
kind of the opposite of like, well, you know, you like arts, so you can't be good at math, kind of. I also I also have like a ton of of quotes. My my notation is sometimes really weird. For instance, I really laughed at when he talked about when Johnny Carson joked about a toilet paper shortage and because they <laughs> people thought there was a toilet paper shortage, they bought up all the toilet paper and created a toilet paper shortage. No, um cuz I you know, laughed talks- at that too, the whole self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. <laughs> um because like the whack on the side of the head he has this story about a sort of like mentor or or guru who has a disciple who he whacks on the side of the head to sort of just you know kind of start over start start without any any preconceived notions and he really likes this um ancient philosopher heraclides mm-hmm. which again I'm oh he likes him so much yeah, he oh shows gosh. up a lot and he's written another they book. They should totally date because he's so into it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's written another book more based on him. And he has this list of some of his his sort of Cohen's or things. And it was so funny because a lot of them were, again, like they had the same kind of quality of being super obvious, but also a good way to phrase things. But one of them really stuck out to me. Uh, and that was the quote that every walking animal is driven to its purpose with a whack. And I, you know, he means it as a sort of positive thing that sometimes, you know, you, you, I guess you need to like have some pain to get where you're going. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, yeah, but also, you know, we domesticated and enslaved those animals. And uh, a lot of times we've discovered that the best way to train an elephant or a tiger is to hurt them. And maybe they shouldn't be trained. And if they should, maybe it should be with, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think... I don't know why I got so stuck on that. And I think it maybe plays into another part that is not a flaw in the book because it, it's part of like his perspective and what he does. But some of it felt very like sort of um, businessy and use focused. Like he says, you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you can't sell it, you won't get very far. And that makes perfect sense within the context of helping people basically with their business and unlock how their organization works. But then, uh, you know, I very much come back to monetizing our hobbies, you know, like, is the only reason to be creative to, to like, to get better at being creative and improving and, and doing things to make it super awesome and sell it? Can you, like, I don't think he means it, but because I think he's so focused, it kind of makes me feel like, there's no point in unlocking creativity and getting better at it just for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I see that. I think because a lot of the people that would probably pick up this book are looking for different ways to, you know, inspire their business or reinvigorate a team, which comes up a lot in the book. But I also, I enjoy that he didn't get completely stuck on that like it's not Mm -hmm. just a business book he talked a lot about um basically any profession he would throw in analogies from everything i even saw a pottery analogy in there on like page 54 (laughs) which i'm um noted and i was like ah pottery analogy um but and another thing that he brought up um which i guess will transition is like he says that musical ability, decorating, painting, and cooking seem to have no place in many test makers' opinion of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And I think that that says a lot about where he's going with this book in that you can be intelligent and be a free thinker and be creative and um, have a lot of value in your own thought process and creative process and in your mind when you don't like take a 
standard test mm-hmm. perfectly like everyone else. And I think that that kind of says maybe you don't have to always, you know, like monetize your hobby that he is valuing intelligence and conversation and wit and creative thinking and, you know, uh, interesting riddle making as a as a substantial real thing that has value in a world. And I, I kind of see that as his way. He values philosophy so often. And philosophy, we all know, doesn't make any money, right? <laughs> like, it's all about just like talking intelligently with your friends. And so I feel like he is, uh, he's seeing this like idea of just being a creative person, which then could lead to your personal success if you choose to take those aspects of yourself or the things that you've learned or the way you've learned to be creative and apply it to a project that you have that just because it's a business project or a money-making venture doesn't mean that you need to like let go of your creative side that this is where you might even need it the most in order to stand out when you are interested in a project or, or doing something like that. I kind of feel like he must have been a part of both that a lot of like big now big formerly startup tech companies either had you know a concept of you you can slash have to do your own projects x percent of the time or every meeting should start with like 10 minutes of silliness just so that you relax your brain and no no i totally agree that yes he does show that sort of creativity in the sense of productivity and and finances aren't the only important thing um i really liked he was talking about how two groups of people took like a, he calls it a mental acuity test. I don't know if that's basically like some form of IQ test. And one of them did a, a motor-based task, uh, peeling fruit, and the other one just sat still. And the people who had done something did much better on the test. Mm-hmm. And his his phrasing is that there's something about getting our hands and eyes working together that gets our neurons firing. And that just made me really happy to read. It was definitely one of those things where I'm like, yes, I know this. I've read about this specifically, but it makes me happy every time someone who is seen as an authority repeats it Mm -hmm. because it is, it is so important. And I feel like, again, for, for his context, he talks mostly about how it can help you um, rejigger your brain or, or knock something loose, but it does feel like he's also talking about it in it's as, as its own value and being like, it is, it is important to do things with your hands in general. It can help you with a lot of different things. Right. Because handicrafts or or doing anything with your hands is usually seen as, you know, inferior to intellectual pursuits or anything like that. So the idea that it helps and it, it all works together is really validating and it's mm-hmm. pretty great. And the same thing that goes, same thing on that realm, it goes with um, the idea of failing. And it's something that we talk a lot about on the show and he brings up in the book about how you can't be afraid to fail because if something is worth doing, it's worth failing at because you are, you don't know how to do it. You know, it's, it's going to be new and it's going to be a venture for you and like a challenge. And of course, if you fail at it while you're doing it, that means that you have somewhere to go. Like there's something to learn. And it's just like, he also brings up an example of taking, um, like having a ton of bad ideas is equivalent to like taking a ton of bad pictures and the photographer knows that like you have to take so many terrible pictures in order to get like a few great ones. 
And no one sees all the bad ones because they only Mm -hmm. display the great ones. It's just like having a ton of bad ideas and only seeing the best ones because those are the ones that were successful. And you don't see how many times people have failed when they are a super successful person because you only see them as their wins. And uh, he talks a lot about the idea of failing in public and, and how that is really humiliating and hard for people to get through. And I I really love that because it's exactly how I feel about things and being afraid to fail publicly. But at the same time, all of that brings out, you know, the idea that erroring isn't wrong. Erroring is like you building up your skills and it's, you know, it's really good to build skills. Otherwise, everything would just be the same if you hadn't, if you don't fail at trying something new, then no one would ever try anything new. So failure and doing something wrong or not being super great at something right away is basically a really good place to be because it means that you can move forward and think differently or do something differently if you do it wrong first. And both you and I read that. We're like, I know you're right and I hate that you're right and I'm annoyed now. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, because also like that's – you know, that that is not just how you challenge yourself to try things that you haven't done before and run the risk of failing. But also, I think that if you even if you get things right accidentally on the first try, you you have to learn how how to deal with failure and how to avoid failure and how to analyze failure. And you can't do that if if you never try like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're trying new techniques in arts or crafts. You have like once you learn to sort of read your failure in the material or in the results, it's a lot easier to 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 know how to avoid it both the next time and and possibly not do it the next time you try something new. Whereas if you it's you know the gifted kid uh, paradox where mm-hmm. if you do really well for a long time and then you suddenly just don't know how to try something because you've never had to learn it. Yeah, I just want to quote. So um, there's a couple of things I want to read directly from the book about that, because I think we talk about failure and, and being afraid to try something new so often. And it's just really nice to be reading about it in a book as opposed to like us test talking constantly. And I think that that's one of the reasons why this book felt really good to read for me. Um, so he says, uh, how many people do you see who are afraid to try something new because this fear is failure? Most of us have learned not to make mistakes in public. As a result, we remove ourselves from many learning experiences experiences except for those occurring in the most private of circumstances and then he goes on to say like our error rate is in any activity is a function of our familiar of our familiar fam- i can't say this word familiarity familiarity <laughs> familiarity Fam- <laughs> wait right, no yeah. i don't know what the word is All right, familiarity I'll, I'll try it one more time and if i fail okay. just keep it in because it's a failure <laughs> our error rate is an activity uh our, our, <laughs> Our error rate in any activity is a function of our familiarity with the activity. If we are doing things that are routine for us, then we will probably make very few errors. But if we are doing things that have no precedence in our experience or are trying different approaches, then we'll make or we'll make our share of mistakes. Inventors may not bat a thousand far from it, but they do get new ideas. So errors serve as a useful purpose. They tell us when to change direction. Um, when things go smooth, smoothly, we generally don't think about them. So like, I just, I really like that. Um, and again, again, my errors, there we go with like reading a <laughs> sentence that I've only read once before. It is really nice to see that like you, 
the the erroring and the being wrong and it just means you're not familiar with it and that's the whole idea of having you know strong brain synapses like that's science right there it's you haven't connected your thoughts in a a strong enough pattern. And as soon as you do it over and over and over again, that's what practice is. It kind of makes those, you know, brain patterns stronger and stronger. And then they just become like muscle memory, regardless of what you're doing. If it's a way of thinking, if it's reading a sentence out of a book, um, if it is, you know, making something with your hands, if it's a different way of thinking and like training yourself, it's all just like building up those strands to be stronger and stronger. And uh, to continue my quick little run on thought, he even makes a reference in the beginning of the book about an architect who didn't put any uh, walkways in their design right away. Instead, they planted grass in between all these buildings that were made. And he let the people using the buildings kind of trudge out a footpath through the grass. And so he knew exactly where to put the walkways because people were just walking, which was most efficient for them. And I I really like that idea because it's like, if there's no map about what to do and you're trying to figure something out, you will kind of find your way through it and you'll make those paths and they'll get stronger and stronger as you go. And I just, a lot of these little things hit home with me. And, and even though, like you said in the beginning, it's stuff I knew already, but it's just nice to read it if you're in the mood for like a little bit of extra stimulating, like extra stimulus to get yourself moving on a project or an idea. Yeah. And I think also not just that you're training your brain to do, you know, new things and to explore. I realize that it's also almost like, I don't know, building up a callus, like people who use certain tools, like you, you build up the callus against the fear of failure. Uh, so that you like it becomes less and less scary to try new things uh, and to be like I'm 90% sure I'm gonna fail but I want to try and then I'm probably because I've learned that it's fun to keep trying I'm probably gonna keep trying like three more times than I maybe even should but then suddenly I will have painted this incredible giant detail of an eye or made a super tall vase or whatever like it, it becomes less of a of a feeling of risk kind mm-hmm. of what one thing that I was like well I know what my next tattoo is except it's not but I really <laughs> liked he said something he said the Greek word enthusiasmos means the god within you enthusiastic people seem to have access to a spirit that serves as their source of inspiration and I just really really liked that like it's not it's not in itself an inspirational quote and it doesn't have like a call to action or anything it just Something about knowing that that's where the term enthusiasm comes from. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a religious, you know, a spiritual person in that sense. But like the God within you is still like the force and and kind of letting it power you. I mm-hmm. guess like it's it's what your engine runs on. And I think like for me, I I think that's one of my strengths is being enthusiastic. I'm not always as good at using it for myself, but I try. Um, But just to be like, because I think, I think that kind of like, there is this very strong crossover there of trying things. You have to be enthusiastic kind of to be able to fail, I think. I mean, you can also just be bad at the thing you're doing, but you know what I mean? Like failing at something new, you have to be like, yes, I'm going to do this. This is fun. Let's do it. And then you like fall over and you're bruised and you're like, all right, I'm not good at skateboarding. 
let's do it again. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know why skateboarding was the exact. I don't. <laughs> I should not skateboard. I would just bruise myself and never get better. So, was there were were the things that you didn't like? Anything that you were like, mm, I don't know about this. Um, there wasn't anything that I actually actively didn't like. Uh, there were a couple like silly things where he's like, you know think of the assumptions and try and break them. I thought there were parts of the book that got a little bit, um, like you said, seminar, self-helpy. Like it felt like it was filler. And I was just like, what is happening here? Um, That's about when I started to get sleepy in the middle of the book. But (laughs) then it picked up again. And I feel like it was more of a, hey, you need to write a book about this because you have a lot of good ideas, but you don't quite have enough to like (laughs) <laughs> have enough book to fill it so, out yeah it's like so two, two slides out. in your presentation yeah so there were those parts of it but they weren't as thick or as you know far but it wasn't as prominent as certain other books that are really bad about that it's like you know there are certain self-help kind of books like this that have a good opening thesis statement they explain it and then the rest of the book is just gibberish like it's just filler and nothingness this it kept going i love the illustrations i liked how there was a lot of quotes it was a more of a dynamic read because every page was even just structured differently so it kind of kept my mind going um i even like how there was that random chapter that like essential break chapter where he just like told a story he's like all right we learned a lot of stuff. Now I'm just going to like hang out and chat with you. Nothing While about you get what some we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. So it was almost like practice what you preach kind of thing. And it, so that was a fun little addition that it was a book that doesn't take itself super seriously and used a lot of its own techniques in its own writing. So like the the drawings, I think, do that. The little like, hey, here's an area where you fill out, you know, a thing or here's some questions where in the back of the book are the the <laughs> answers to like the riddles that I'm asking you. Um, ooh, we should do those actually. Oh, and there's drawings of like bagels and stuff. It's so cute. There's a lot of really cute little things, um, which I really, uh, we just talked about what we don't like, but uh, um, now I'm saying what I did like. Well, that's, that's good to know. I think, I think part of my, like, again, like, my my issues with it, I think, were also like partly unfair because I joked as I was starting to starting to read it. I joked uh, to my husband. I was like, I know that this guy has because I, you know, when I've I've been to sort of creativity workshops in big companies mm-hmm. where parts of them are really good, but sometimes either like you've been to too many of them and you're like, I I can't make a Lego representation of myself again. I'm just over it, <laughs> and a, and a certain allergy to group projects possibly, yeah. and. Sometimes you're like, I, this, this is taking time away from, I need to actually be, cre-. you know, like it's, so I think like I unfairly kind of went into it with that. This guy has definitely, you know, done those things to groups of people. But yeah, no, I agree. Like it, well, I think that is also why I feel like I need to come back to it because you read through it and you kind of feel just like washed over with all this stuff. And you're like, okay, I need to sit with this. But did you, did you do the exercises? Part of me again, I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. I don't like stopping to do this, but I I did try to sort of feel some of them, even if I didn't do them exactly. Oh, yeah, I totally did some of them. I especially like the riddles that I got right. So I was like, I'm smart. <laughs> like, so that made me feel good, even if like 10,000 other people got the same riddle right. But it did start becoming like a man is dead on an island. How did he get there? It's like, oh, we was hit by a car and it's a traffic island, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but like, oh, it's spoilers. Um, 
you should know that riddle by now. Uh, it's, but it, again, it was kind of fun because they, he did that really early in the book where it's like, oh, there's lots of stuff for you to do. And I like a good activity. So I was like, oh, we're doing something different. And like I write in my book. So I had no problem writing in my book. Um, uh, yeah. So I I enjoy that kind of stuff. I like I like that it is not just, you know, a giant pile of words if that makes sense, uh, especially for a book like this. It's not telling anything. It's not telling a creative story. So I need some other kind of creative input in order to enjoy something. And this book definitely provided that since it was a book on creativity. So that was, and it's also really nice to be able to answer those questions and do those exercises without feeling like I can't answer this in the seminar because I don't want to be Hermione all the (laughs) time. You know, like you could just for yourself be like, this is the things that I'm thinking about. So again, the thing that kind of triggered you to be interested in this book were the the four roles, explorer, artist, judge, uh, warrior. Uh, his summarization of them is that your explorer is your role for searching for new information and resources. Your artist is your role for turning these resources into new ideas. Your judge is your role for evaluating the merits of an idea and deciding what to do with it. And your warrior is your role for carrying your idea into action. And Again, this isn't a self-help book as such, but I really appreciate that he's not like, this is the role that you have in a group, but it's like, these are the roles that you have to play. Like, these aren't types of people. These are the things that you have to find in yourself and find ways to, you know, have them cooperate or be the strongest at different times, right? Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And and again, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be a warrior. I don't have to do the thing. I want to have fun. But Again, he's right. Like you have to like the warrior in this case isn't someone like you're fighting for your idea or you're fighting to sell it. It's more like you just have to, you know, f- f- I was gonna say fulfill the order. It sounds like it's in a warehouse, <laughs> but like you have to carry out all the stuff that the other things are are building up to, which again, annoyingly is true. Yeah, it's not about like put even putting it out into the world or or ma- it's just more of like make an idea a reality. Yeah. As opposed to just sticking with an idea, because the analogy that he like ends up using at the end, where he has this weird like third person dialogue, I was not a fan of that. But he essentially says, "It feels like, like a very '80s thing to do." Yeah, in this it kind really of book. does. <laughs> it really does. That part didn't get updated, but the gist of it is like you can't just be an idea person and constantly have ideas. That doesn't really make you the creative person if you are just like oh i think about all the things i want to do all the time but i never actually do them so i think it's more of a you know it's it's pushing you forward outside of just your own thought it's like the idea of saying like oh i wish i could play guitar (laughs) i'm thinking of this because that's what marco said to me the other night but like you can't if you For actually, a second, I was like, "Wait, did he wish you could play guitar?" <laughs> no, that would be rude. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, I do wish I could play guitar because right now I just make notes. But it doesn't matter. Uh, it's more about like if you wish and you really want to be that person, then you need that warrior part of yourself to go out and start doing it. And if you can't motivate yourself to actually do it, then maybe that's not what you really want to do. And you should shift and figure out, like, go back to the Explorer, get all the information. And then you have the artist that goes all crazy and, like, 
you know, puts all things together in weird ways. And then you have the judge that is deciding like, hmm, is this a good idea? Does this work? Does that one work? And then when you finally get like, okay, it works. And the judge is like, you're good to go. That's when like the warrior is like, okay, now I need to actually go do something. Um, for me, it feels like, uh, like sometimes I have all of these crazy ideas or things I want to make and things I want to draw or, or paint or animate on, you know, my iPad and procreate and stuff. And I just sit there with those ideas and I keep thinking about them until I just can't think about them anymore. And then like, I'm like, okay, now it's time. Like the warrior is like, okay, you actually have to sit down and you have to like pick up your Apple pencil and you have to actually do this if you want it to like, like exist the, the at judge, all. the judge has sent too many faxes to the warrior office. I yeah. feel like the warrior of- is totally like, just, oh, I'm so I'm in bed and just hit snooze. The warrior hits snooze so much in my life. <laughs> like, I don't want to. I feel like I need a more awake the, warrior. I feel like the role that. I, I completely see why he, again, in his context, doesn't think it's ne- maybe necessary. But I feel like for a lot of creative people, including in businesses and organizations, like, I feel like there needs to be a fifth role that, I don't know if you would call it an auntie or a grandma, like someone who is also kind to yourself along all the steps, maybe, mm-hmm. who both is like, it's okay to send all all of the other four guys on holiday or holds you up during failure and during trying new things. And because I feel like all of these people, like the all of these four roles, if you think about them as people or parts of yourself, they also need to get to come home and, and snooze or get to come home to someone who has made them a snack. You know what I mean? And And you need to remember that as well. And I feel like I harp on this in almost every episode, but about the intentional breaks and mm-hmm. intentional laziness, which he kind of brings up too, like like you said. Oh yeah, he you totally need a break, does. Drink some tea. He also talks about having like a family support system. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I feel like you need to have that internally as well, not just as part of the process, but as as an additional role. Yeah. And maybe that's not a role as such because it kind of needs to, if not be ever present, then at least ever ready to spring to action. Because I think that's something that all people do, both people who do see themselves as creative and people who don't. And we we forget to be kind to ourselves. And I think maybe just as a as a function of this, because I like the way that he sets up the, these roles. But then I'm like, everyone can use a reminder to have a snack uh, and to have that as part of themselves during all of this he does mention in the very beginning of the book he says the creative person wants to be a know-it-all and i think that what you're saying is we so often get ourselves into this trap of i am achiever please notice mm-hmm. i have all these things um, i have all these ideas and i'm trying to implement them all and i'm exploring and i'm thinking differently and i'm doing all this stuff and a lot of times we need that like that break to take a minute and step back. And I wonder if this book is for the people that need a break, because it's so much about stimulating yourself Mm -hmm. and getting yourself moving and thinking differently and doing stuff and moving forward. Like there's so much momentum built into this book uh, as the reason for the whole whacking inspiration. But we're like the men, the mentor needs to also have an ice pack after he smacked you over the head with yeah, a stick. Yeah. There needs to be aftercare. <laughs> like, there needs to be a little kindness there. And I think, I think you're right that, you know, for us, we are just kind of, 
we're already our own little dynamos. So what we need is like more cogs to slow us down sometimes. But I just think, I don't know, I'm I'm very much like you're saying both about the self-care and the aftercare. But I'm curious because we're talking now just like very generally about the things that we like. But was there anything that you felt like this really hit to me? This made me want to either do something specific or do something differently. I One thing that stuck out to me, which again is something that I do a lot with like my professional creativity. Um, I, I, it's funny. It's I, I'm sure you've heard of it too. Like it's called rubber ducky programming, um, where you have to explain something. A lot of people will have rubber ducky on their computer. Well, I, I guess monitors now can't hold anything, but traditionally, like or on your desk, where like you have to explain the the problem that you're stuck on to the duck as if it was, I guess, a three year old. Um, and that's not necessarily what I do, but I do find a lot of times the best way to get unstuck is try to explain the thing to someone else. And I feel like maybe that's something that I should do more with my fun creative projects. Because like if I'm working on an interview or a creative writing or whatever, and I'll be like, hey, I need to explain this to someone I need to, to like figure out what I'm doing wrong. And maybe I should do that with like dresses or knitting. and Because t- I do it sometimes, but not intentionally, I think. And maybe then you get someone who has a different perspective or you understand more about yourself as you're talking. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm too self-conscious of a person to explain something to like an object that, that um, I would like to do it, but I don't know what I would get out of it personally but i can see how that could be like a a really good trigger of ideas and be like okay now here comes because it it is once you explain something out loud to somebody else you oftentimes get to the point where like oh that didn't make any sense i need to go back and rethink that and he does mention that in the book and i like that um for me one of the things that he brought up which i liked was he said um oh that uh like art drawing is recovering from the first line like as you're drawing (laughs) all of it is just like a constant act of like recovering and like trying to fix what you've done and I was like okay okay I can like I feel that that feels really good and the whole sense of like every act of creation is also an act of destruction um if something is worth doing it's okay to do it poorly like I I very much gravitate towards the whole idea of um you know being terrible at something is okay because that's what I'm constantly having to tell myself over and over again and I know that this is like a repeating thing in our show, but that for me always stands out the most when someone tells me it's okay to be okay with yourself being okay. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a truism that a lot, a lot of the making is knowing when to stop, but then sometimes you maybe should also know that, that you shouldn't stop. Just keep going. Don't be afraid to, to ruin it. This, this might be a rhetorical question, but would you recommend this book? in general to people yeah i totally would because i really like the way that he doesn't pigeonhole who he's talking to it's really very broad and i think anyone who's interested in maybe starting to like just stimulate your brain to think a little bit differently i think it's a it's a good read and it definitely started me moving forward on a few other projects that i've been like dragging my feet on so that was a positive thing yeah, I have like, I wrote down a bunch of like quotes and stuff that I liked. And normally when I don't like a book, I don't write anything. Um, mm-hmm. So that is great. I have like, let's see, one, two, three, like four pages of notes. And I feel wow. good about that. Yeah. 
Well, because like I wrote down like page numbers and little quotes and like I got excited about the, you know, pottery, you know, analogy for you. <laughs> and I thought like so many things were like many rules outlive their purpose for which they were intended, like a little stuff like that, that it's obvious. And a lot of people who are like forward thinkers or people who want to like question stuff that has happened has been kind of the standard for a long time it's like well how can we do this differently and i'm very much in that camp like very politically i'm in that camp of let's you know fix our outdated laws let's change things just because it's tradition doesn't mean that it's right or it's good or it's fun um i'm all about like tearing down all of that stuff and rebuilding for what's new and what people are actually doing as opposed to fighting against something that is outdated so i think that this book talks a lot about that and it's not even just about like the political ideas or social things or maybe even something that's kind of silly in your job that you have to fill out some sort of like stupid piece of paperwork that makes no sense anymore because the company has moved on to being something digital and it just is it we've, we're doing this because we've always done this uh and i think that that is also present in our own minds and the way that we function as people it's like how you were five years ago and what you were doing and what you were focusing on isn't going to be the same as it is now and it's okay to change and it's good to change and sometimes in order to do those changes you need that you know whack on the side of the head to stop you from thinking the easy path and to go a little bit difficult in order to find something that's better in the in the end mm -hmm. there's what I think is kind of a sequel or follow-up book that's called A Kick in the Seat of the Pants, uh, <laughs> using your explorer, artist, judge, and warrior to be more creative. Do you think you uh, – we don't have to read it for the podcast, but do you feel like you'd want to read more of his stuff? He also has about one book that's a creativity tool on the ancient wisdom of Heraclitus, which I'm like, yes, okay, yes, yes, we get oh, it. You, you, like you, you quoted him like 800 times in this book. How much more could there possibly be? No, um, things like this, I – get out of them what I get out of them. And I don't usually like, like you said, I don't seek more of it because I feel like now at this point, my then it's either like, do I want to spend my time being creative and doing stuff? Or do I want to spend my time learning about being creative? And it's like, I want to learn a little bit about being creative. And then I want to try to apply it for as long as I can until I absolutely like fall off the cliff of creativity and I need to like re-up on my thinking. So yeah, you don't you don't want to get stuck in just filling notebooks of good quotes from creativity books. Right. Because there there are people that their creative hobby or their hobby or you know the things that they are focused on is going to a lot of these seminars. It is like participating in these classes and things like that in itself, if that's fulfilling you and, and that's as far as you want it to go, sure. That's Great. Um, but you won't actually end up making something if you just get stuck in the learning process constantly. It's like the people that go to school forever and never like actually leave in order to pursue the thing that they've spent, you know, 10, 15 years learning. And again, there's, you have to either be okay with that and be like, this is who I am. I am a constant school person. Or you say, like, I need to put away the school for a little bit and actually work on my own and try and, like, you know, sail this boat all by myself. I'm going <laughs> out to the ocean. It's going to be a little dangerous. I might get hurt, but I'm going to go do it anyway because otherwise the warrior's asleep, right? Like, there's <laughs> there's, there's no um, – you're not creating anything based on it, even if it's just something for yourself. Maybe the judge is asleep too because they don't have any actual ideas to, to do anything about. Right, 
Right. So, you know, there's just different ways of doing it. But if you want to be a doer, then you need to go do stuff. And I think like just piling up reading books like this over and over again isn't going to help. I think it's it becomes a crutch. But not that crutch, crutches aren't bad because sometimes crutches help you walk when you need to walk. Yeah, so... crutches are an important tool, but <laughs> yeah. maybe you don't need your training wheels forever. Right. But you you aren't your crutch. Like you no. are way more than that. So... But what I'm hearing is, is that you do think that people should make and do. Oh, yeah, of course they should make and do. (laughs) And if you are into making and doing, you can go find our show notes over at relay.fm slash make do where we recommend this book. And I hope that you read this book and then use your judge and warrior and artist and explorer and move forward. And you can go find us over at make do pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us individually at Tiffany Arment and Julia Scott, S-K-O-T-T. And you can tell us um, if you read this book and what you think, and maybe you found different things in it that we didn't pick up on. Because I know, Julia, you mentioned some things that I completely... I, I just skimmed over it. And then you're I'm like, oh, that was in this book. That's awesome. So don't forget to go subscribe, give the show a review where you can and say kind things because we liked kind things. And we will be back in a fortnight um, talking about what we have made and what we do. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs>